Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. So good to see these young men down here with Brother Kenneth. Uh, they were down there before he got there. He didn't have to corral them or anything. And I was just thinking, I can't remember whether it was James or Corey, but last week uh, before the baptism, you know, you always want to make sure they understand what baptism uh, is about. And so you normally ask a few simple questions. And uh, and uh, so I, I did, if they asked them if they understood what it was, and gave me a perfect explanation I, I, I think I would have been crying or, or something, certainly postponing things, had they said, well, yeah, yeah, I've got to get baptized in order to, in order to be saved or something like that. But they had already been well instructed and they knew that baptism is a picture of salvation and not the means to salvation. Uh, let's begin by reading verse number 24, and then we're going to back up and look at some verses before that and afterward. But I think this sort of uh, sort of sums up what uh, the point I want to make this morning. Speaking about living faithfully in a fallen world, living faithfully in a fallen world. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Becoming a Christian is easy. All you have to do is believe. Uh, it was so wonderful last week when Joy came and accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior just by believing. And she gave evidence of that by her willingness to go ahead and to follow the Lord in baptism. I mentioned last week, whenever the Bible speaks of salvation, it gives us several pictures of, uh, of uh, you know, describing salvation and how simple it is, like taking a drink of water. Jesus said, you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Or he spoke about, you know, him being the bread of life. If you eat of this bread, you'll never hunger again. You know, things like eating and drinking water, those are so very simple. He, he didn't say you have to climb the highest mountain, swim the widest sea, uh, carry a thousand pounds on your back for a hundred yards or anything like that. He tells us that we are to simply what? Well, believe. How easy it is to become a Christian. I remember when Dad made a profession of faith, and this was after much begging and pleading and crying and prayers for a long time. And as was standing beside his hospital bed, and he had just made a profession of faith, and Dad seldom, in fact, I'd only seen Dad cry one time in his life, and he was trying to trying to drag me out of a riot going on in a well, I better not tell about that, but uh, uh, but anyway, Dad didn't cry easy, but he had tears in his eyes, and he said, son, he said, I don't know why I waited so long. He said, if I had known that it was so easy to become a Christian, I, I would have got saved a long time ago. You see, it was finally after all of those years that it broke through to him that he understood what the Bible was saying that it's in simply believing, in having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him. So there's nothing difficult about being saved because Christ did the difficult part. 
He's the one that suffered and bled and died. He's the one hanging on the cross. He's the one that was buried and arose again the third day. So he's the one that did all of the work, and we just are the recipients of the work that he provided by simple childlike faith. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And by the same token, it's through you and I believing in, that is trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're saved. So because it's so easy, there's absolutely no reason for anyone to not be a Christian. So it's easy to become a Christian, but it is extremely difficult to be a Christian in the truest sense of the word. That is, that we follow the teachings of Christ, that we follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is extremely hard. It's difficult for us because of the demands that are placed upon us. We think about, you know, the demands that have been imposed upon us by the Lord himself. And, you you know, you just look at the list because, I mean, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to forsake all that you have. Think about that for a little bit. You've got to forsake everything in order to be my disciple. He said, you can't love your mother, your brother, your sister, your daddy, or anybody else more than me. You have to love me above everything else. You see, it's one thing to be a believer. It's another thing to be a disciple because a disciple is a follower. A disciple is someone that is like an apprentice. As they learn, they put it into practice. They're not just working in order to get a degree. They're not just working in order to increase their knowledge. They are trying to reach a goal. And that goal, Paul explained, for me to live is Christ. That was his goal in life. That was his purpose for living, to glorify God by living a life that is like the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you look at all of these demands, it's easy to come to the conclusion, wow, I've bitten off more than I can chew. I I cannot possibly live a life like that. So we look at the demands that are imposed upon us and we consider the weakness of our flesh And we're left scratching our head wondering how in the world am I ever going to be able to live out this life that God desires for me. And here's the thing about it. Difficulty does not excuse us from duty. Just because it's difficult. So many times people have the idea. I had a family one time join the church many years ago. And the same day they joined, I mean standing right there before the congregation... And the father of the bunch looked at me and said, Pastor, I, you know, I just want you to know we're joining today here as a family, but the first sign of trouble in the church and we're out of here. And, and, and you know, if, if I had a, little, a few manners back then, not many, but a few, but I didn't want to embarrass him any more than that. I felt like kicking him into the sea of the bridges and saying, you might as well leave right now because I got news for you. We're expecting to have some problems. We're expecting to have problems. I mean, that's going to happen. You can't do the work of God without encountering problems. There's going to be difficulties. And so when we think about the weakness of the flesh and these difficulties upon us, we know that although it's easy to become a Christian, it's extremely difficult to live the Christian life as it ought to be lived. Now, the reason I say that 
is because God's requirement, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, is that we be found faithful. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So every Christian is commanded to be faithful to the Lord. Now, you see, faithfulness demands different things out of different people. Somebody says, well, I think God just, uh, he treats everybody the same. No, he doesn't. I've heard people say, well, you ought to treat all your kids or all people the same. No, you shouldn't. They're all different. You have to treat them different. You don't deal with everybody in the same way because of the difference. And God knows that we're different and God deals with us differently. God expects different things out of different people. But the one thing he expects out of all of us, no exclusions, is faithfulness. Faithfulness requires different things from different people. You think about some little old lady or a little old man out here in the nursing home. God doesn't expect them to get up and to go and to do and to work and do the things that, that you and I are able to do. I mean, you know, you're of a sound mind, I, I hope, in the strong body, and you're able to get up and to go. God expects some things out of you that he doesn't expect out of them, you see. But they can be faithful. They, they can do what they can where they are. We can always be faithful, and that's God's requirement. But realizing that we live in a fallen world. Planet Earth is a tough place to live. I mean, it's difficult. It's stressful. And a part of our problem is that we tend to worry, well, which is a is another serious problem. Five times in these verses, as you read on down through verse 34, five times the Lord tells us not to worry. And so what he's doing is commanding us to take a radically different approach to material things than what the world does. And you'll see that in just a minute. The world operates one way. He says, look, if you're going to be faithful, if you're going to live a life of faithfulness in a fallen world, then you have to do certain things. You have to consider certain things. Now, begin in verse number 19, and here's the first thing, if you're going to remain faithful, that's necessary. And you have to realize that our primary cause is eternal. Got it? Our primary cause is is eternal. Verse number 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No doubt you know some people who believe with all of their heart that that riches is the solution to all of their problems. They think, you know, if I, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just inherit uh, a couple of million dollars, if I could just get rich, then, you know, that would solve this problem and another problem. But, but, but actually, it does just the opposite. 
The accumulation of riches adds to your stress. It divides your attention. It subtracts from your time and your energy, and it multiplies your problems. So if you think having more money or more possessions is the thing that's going to really make you happy and solve your problems, you've got it all wrong. It's not going to make things better in the sense of solving your problems. It's going to increase your problems. And here's the point. We, we must not treasure our treasures. You see, the Bible doesn't say that riches are wrong. In fact, God has highly prospered a lot of people, such as Solomon, for example. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, but it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. That's why the Bible doesn't condemn us because we're rich, but it does tell us seek not to be rich. In other words, that ought not to be our primary cause in living. Our primary cause must not be focused on the things of this world, but notice what he said, rather on treasures in heaven. The Lord's trying to get us to see that that's where our primary interest ought to be, that we ought to be investing our lives in things that cannot rust, things that cannot be stolen, things that the world cannot take away. And I think it's wonderful that the Lord, notice how he worded that. He said, lay up for yourselves. Isn't that great? Lay up for yourselves. As you know, I've seen people, I've heard preachers preach messages on the fact that reward should never be motivation for service. That's nonsense. We ought, listen, we ought to be motivated by the fact that God has promised to reward us for our faithful service. There's not anything wrong with that. Now, listen, our primary purpose, our primary main purpose above everything else is to glorify God. But the best way we can glorify God is to make our primary interest on things that are eternal instead of things that are in this world. Don't waste your life investing it in things that are going to, to pass away. We can, we can all think about stuff that we've got, right? I mean, stuff that really mean a lot to us. Man, you've got this new bass boat or you've got a, a new gun or the ladies have got, you know, they've got the newest, latest handbag that they've always wanted all of their life. And we got all of those things. And we think about how terrible it would be, you know, if suddenly we lost all of those things like my neighbor did in a fire or somebody would steal all of those things and suddenly they're gone and uh, what then? Let me tell you, you're going to lose it all someday anyway. Bev and I lost the, 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 the material possessions that meant the most to us in all of the world several years ago, and I won't describe the details. We lost all of it. All of it. The, I mean, the whole list that we could have made up, these are the most important material possessions that we have. All of them were gone. But it was, listen, it's just a matter of time because someday we're going to lose all that stuff anyway. I got news for you. All of these things that you think are so important to you, someday they're going to be out there in the garage sale. Yeah. And here, you're worrying so much about it, and there are going to be people out there trying to see how cheap they can get it. And you're investing all of your time and all of your energy in this stuff. 
when our primary concern ought to be eternal rather than the things of this earth because eventually, you know, we lose all of those things. I like Jim, what Jim Elliott said, he is no fool to give that which he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about that. So if you're going to live a life of faithfulness in a fallen world, your primary concern has to be for that which is eternal instead of the things of this world. But secondly, and notice here in verse 20 again, our promised compensation is spiritual. It's spiritual. When we think about rewards for our service, you know, and naturally we can think of different things that we'd like to get. But he says here, notice, lay up treasures in heaven, I, I say often and intentionally that one of the most important things that you can do as a child of God is to understand who you are and what you have in Christ. And I'm convinced a lot of people don't understand that. There are people that have been going to church on a regular basis for 20 and 30 years and they have absolutely no understanding of really truly who they are and what they have in Jesus Christ. If you ever wake up to that fact and fully understand what you have, who you are. Listen, you are a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. And so the, the thing that matters most the thing that should motivate us, the thing that should thrill us is to understand that our main compensation is spiritual. That's not to say the Lord doesn't reward us in some ways with things on earth. I've got, I've got more, more stuff, I guess, than I've ever had. I, I got stuff, you know, I can reach in my pocket and pull out this or pull out that. I can, I can grab a pen. This is something somebody gave me or whatever. Uh, the, the, the suit I have on is something this church provided for me and my wife picked out for me or, you know, whatever. But what I'm saying is that God has indeed blessed me and blessed you with material things, but that's not the main form of compensation. You see, better than that is the fact that he has blessed us in spiritual places with spiritual things, you see. That'll motivate you. Somebody was talking a while ago and he's talking about one of these young guys. I won't mention his name, but he was talking about he'd worked 12 hours yesterday. He was tired and... Uh, and I said, oh, you're young, you know, that, that, that doesn't bother you. And he, you know, he uh, said, well, you know, I made X amount of dollars, and so that made it worth it, you know. Uh, that, that's right, because, you know, if you're not going to work, you're not, you shouldn't eat, the Bible says. And so here's somebody willing to get out there and work, and they were compensated for their work as a result of it. And, you know, that's the way that it ought to be. But you stop and think about the work of your life, what you're investing your life in. And if it's not for spiritual things, let me tell you, you're absolutely wasting your life because everything else you're going to leave behind. Then number three, let's read beginning verse 24. Verse 24, where we started down through verse 30. No man can serve two masters. In other words, you've got to make up your mind that you're either going to follow the Lord or you're going to follow the ways of this world, right? You're either going to invest in the things of this world or invest in things that are spiritual. You can't serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, therefore, I've underlined that in my Bible. Therefore, don't miss that. Therefore, because of that, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than remnant? Behold the fowls of the air. Now listen carefully to what he says. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they toil not, and neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Our powerful caregiver is the Lord. That's what Jesus is trying to drive home to them. That I have high expectations for you. I am demanding that you live a life of faithfulness in a fallen world. And that's going to be a fight. That's going to be a struggle. That's going to be tough. And you can't have two masters. You've either got to serve me or you've got to serve the world. Naturally, we look at that and the demands that are put upon us. And we think, how can I live that kind of life? How can I succeed in such a tough place? Well, he's telling you that the, your, the, your powerful caregiver is the Lord himself. And let me tell you, he never fails. He never fails. The Bible is full of examples of how God loves and cares for his own. And I've often said a child of God and the will of God has absolutely Nothing to fear because he will lack no good thing. A child of God in the will of God has nothing to worry about. That's what he's trying to get them to see. He speaks about the, the fowl of the air. He speaks about the flyers of the earth. And he says, look at those things and take into consideration your heavenly Father takes care of them. They don't spoil, uh, they don't labor, they don't spend, they don't put their goods in barns. They, you know, they don't do any of the things that you do. And yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. And will he not take care of you? You see, we need to live in the light of that promise every day, knowing that our Heavenly Father is going to take care of us. He's not only able, but He's willing to meet our needs. That's why worry is worthless. It's like somebody said, it's like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. You'll just be sitting there. That's the way it is. But listen, it's worse than that because worry won't, you know, not only won't get you anywhere, it, it will distract you from the things that you ought to be doing. And whenever we get it in our mind that we have got to do this and we've got to do that, we've got to take care of number one, we've got to promote our self-interest and so forth, and we worry about whether we're going to be able to do it or not, and all of a sudden we're totally off track from where the Lord wants us to be. And we've just got to decide what God wants us to do over the years 
I've, uh, on uh, several occasions, I say several, what's it been, one, two, three, or four occasions, uh, gone to church in view of a call, just as I did here. I didn't want to, but anyway, I thought, well, it can't hurt, so I'll go and figure it out. In each instance, I told the, the pulpit committee right at the very beginning, I don't want to know anything about the, sal- sal- the salary. I don't want to know anything about the benefits in that way. All I want to know is what you believe and what you expect from me and so forth. Because you see, if, if we get to worrying about, well, what is the salary? And believe me, I've got, I've got some dear preacher friends that I, I, I love. But I've got some that insist that the salary be at a certain level or they don't take that into consideration. One of them told me, he said, well, I've got to do it that way. He said, I've got a responsibility to take care of my family. Well, sure you do. But the best way to do that is to make sure you're in the will of God. Don't worry about what the size of the salary is. And in every instance when we went from church to church, and I say we because this was a journey of two, uh, plus the children, not just me, in every instance there was a pay cut involved. Never was one where, you know, we got more money. Somebody said, well, uh, Brother Stone changed churches. I guess he got more money. No, he didn't. He got less money. But that's all right. Because I was convinced if I'm where God wants me to be, that's the only thing I need to be concerned about. Just being where He wants me to be. Why? Because the all-powerful, mighty God is my caregiver. He's the one that takes care of me. Now, we're not through yet. We've got to recognize that, but also, beginning in verse 31... The Lord speaks about the fact that our principal concern is God's kingdom. Verse 31. He says, therefore, take no thought. There again, he's saying, don't worry about anything. You know, whenever you tell most people that, you can, you just get the feeling they really want to slap you in the face. Because you know what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh, yeah, that's easy for you to say. You don't have any problems. You don't know what I'm going through and and so forth. And the last thing they want to hear, you know, they, they don't mind if you give them some great big long explanation with words that they can't even understand. You know, that, that, that that's all right. But if you just say, hey, man, don't worry about it. That, that's insulting to a lot of people. It just sounds, well, that's, that's too simple. Well, salvation's pretty simple, isn't it? Amen. Just believe, right? And the Lord's saying here, take no thought for your life. Don't worry about it. That's the point that he's trying to make. Now, remember, these are the fellows that have invested everything in following him. The Bible says they left all for the sake of following him. And by the way, these are the ones that were going to suffer for him. And, and later on, he tells them about this. He lays it all out. I mean, right from the get-go, what he expects from them and what the world's going to do to them. And then he turns around and says, don't worry about it. Now, verse 31 again, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek... For your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need, that ye have need of all these things. Now, of all of the verses in the Bible that helps us deal with worry, verse 33 is the one that's helped me more than any other. 
And I mean, this is from the beginning of my Christian life where he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things shall be added unto you. Now notice, he does not say seek for the kingdom of God. Remember, these are men who have already found the kingdom of God. They are already in the kingdom of God. So he doesn't say that you are to seek for the kingdom of God. That is, that you're to seek to become a part of it, but to seek it. That is, to make it your primary interest, to make it your highest priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know, if we'd be honest, the average church member, I don't necessarily mean here, but I'm talking about across the board, average church member and the average church out there, do you really believe that they're seeking first the kingdom of God? Do you believe that is the main thing in their life? Well, you say, well, I don't even, what are you talking about the kingdom of God? I'm talking about God's rule over his kingdom. I'm talking about God's authority. I'm talking about us pleasing him by obeying him. And this is what he's telling us to do. Seek first the kingdom of God. Notice, and his righteousness. Those things that are right, those things that are proper, those things that are, uh, that, that, that are commanded by him and demonstrated by him. We're to seek his, his authority and to living under his authority and to please him and a life of righteousness. That's the standard. By the way, the standard for this life of righteousness is the Sermon on the Mount. If you just read all of the Sermon on the Mount and study it, you'll discover that this is the standard, and this is the reason why he gives the Sermon on the Mount, to show them his expectations for his followers. And so the principal concern of every faithful Christian is for the kingdom of God. Uh, sadly, it doesn't take a lot to get some people out of the will of God. It really doesn't. Sometimes we look at a person's life and we say, Wow, I'll tell you what, if ever there was a person that loved the Lord, boy, they do. Man, they're there every Sunday. And, and let me tell you, all the devil's got to do is, well, I'm not going to start a list. You, you, you might imagine some of the things that would be on it. But there's some very simple things the devil could do to say, look, all, all, all you've got to do is just, you know, pack up, leave that church, go somewhere else, do something else. And I tell you, we're, listen, we're playing with fire when we move ourselves out of the will of God into the unknown. It'd be really dangerous. I, I, I guarantee you, Bev knows knows enough she'd be scared to death if I just up and resigned for no good reason and said, I don't care what God wants, I'm through, I quit, I give up fully on it. I, 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 I'm just not going to do it anymore. It's a dangerous thing when God says, this is what I expect, and we say, I don't care what you expect. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go about it a different way. And then we turn around and wring our hands and, and worry and fret about whether or not, whether or not, you know, we're going to be able to meet all of our obligations. Notice, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Isn't that great? 
God's saying, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. You know, you put me first, God is saying, and I'll take care of you. Don't do as the Gentiles do. Did you get that? That's what he tells them. Don't do what the Gentiles do. In other words, you're to operate on an entirely different level than what the unbelieving Gentiles do. You're to live according to my standard, not the standard of the world. I'm telling you right now, until we get to that place in our life, we'll never succeed in living a life of faithfulness because there's always going to be something bouncing us from place to place and keeping us out of the will of God. But when you seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, you can sit back and take a a sigh of relief and say, I don't need to worry about that because God's going to take care of it. Now let me show you something else. Verse 34 and this, and this is the ideal place to end, and that is with our personal challenge. Our personal challenge. Take therefore no thought. Well, well, we heard that before, didn't we? Over and over again. This is the fourth time in these verses. No, the fifth, I think. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. If we're going to live a life of faithfulness, we've got to learn to live one day at a time. There are two days that you ought to never worry about, yesterday and tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Look, you can't change it. You can't control it. I have a dear preacher friend and and in fact, he's going through cancer treatments right now. Uh, I believe I don't know exactly what's going on. I kind of lost track, but but he's had some illness. But him and his wife used to sing a little chorus that says, "Today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday." Think about that. How many times that we've oh we've worried and and uh, wow uh, we we. Just, I don't know how this is going to turn out. It looks awful. It looks terrible. I, boy, it doesn't look good, and we worry about it. And, and then it never happens. You know, that's the way it usually is, and we waste all of that energy worrying about things that we can't control anyway. And so the Lord's trying to teach us an important lesson, and that is that every day is like a bite-sized piece of life. And he says, don't listen, don't worry about yesterday or tomorrow. You, you see, we've all got enough problems without borrowing from tomorrow. God provides what? Our daily bread. Our daily bread. He, he, you know, he says, you pray after this manner. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, but, but Lord, I, I want a year's supply. Or, you know, I, at least give me, you know, enough for a couple of months or something. No, no, daily bread. God is trying to get us to understand that it's one day at a time. You know, whenever you're going through some great trial in your life, some painful difficulty, some disappointing experience, and you wonder, how am I going to make it? Well, one day at a time. One day at a time. You say, don't worry about trying to get through it tomorrow. You say, well, I just don't know how I'm going to survive. I never expected this. I don't think I can bear up under this. Look, God just wants you to make it through this day, just one day 
at a time. And it doesn't make a difference how fierce the foe is, makes no difference how great the need is, makes no difference how weary your flesh is. You can depend upon God to keep His promise. I, I think about what the Lord, you know, the, the great promise that was given over in Deuteronomy 33. Verse 25 says, As thy days, isn't that what we're talking about? Days, one day at a time. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. Now, two things about that I want you to think about. The need for it, number one. The need for it. As thy days, and we don't know what those days are going to be, do we? You know, you get up one morning and your neighbor's house is burning down. You get up another morning and you five Dallas police officers shot and killed. You don't know what's going to happen when you get up in the morning, but you do know that every day is going to bring problems of some sort. There is a need for a promise like this. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. What it was... Is that a day so shall thy strength be? It might have to do with your your daily duties. Think about being a parent, for example. That's a it's not an easy thing to be a good parent. Daily duties, a responsibility. It might have to do with your vocation. That can be really tough. I was, you know, just speaking lightheartedly about you know the young man working yesterday twelve hours, and we you know we make jokes about that, and like. My daddy said, you know, what doesn't kill you will help you. Work never killed anybody and stuff like that. But, you know, the fact of the matter is those daily duties can really be tough sometimes. Ask, ask a mother, you know, that's trying to take care of a newborn and yet get up and, you know, do the laundry and do the dishes and do all of the stuff that mothers do and, it can be tough, and we need strength beyond that which we are able. It might have to do with Christian service. Not your regular daily duties, but Christian missionary, for example, to just pack their bags, leave grandma and grandpa and all of the family behind and resign their job and hit the road, raise their support, and go to some foreign country. We just expect it. Well, you know, after all, you ought to do that because you love God and that's what He wants, and uh, how many of you would be willing to do that? I'm telling you, Christian service can stretch you beyond your limit. It might have to do with suffering. Because I don't care who you are or how good you are, there are going to be times of suffering in this life. And God doesn't always give you an explanation for why it's happening. He just lets it happen. The only times that you're going to suffer and you're going to need this strength that he has promised. It might have to do with temptations. I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've got up from my desk when I was working with a, a civil engineer and, and drafting desk and I'd get up and I'd go to the restroom. Not, I didn't need to go to the restroom, but I needed to get in there to where I could really pray and just get alone and shut the door and stand there and quote Philippians 4.13 over and over and over they're all going out for drinks again tonight, you know, and I've made a commitment. I'm a Christian. I don't do that anymore. 
I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I'm telling you, temptation, just because you get saved today doesn't mean all the temptation is gone tomorrow. Doesn't mean you still got to face temptations of different sorts. So you see the need for this promise as thy days. Remember, he's teaching his followers to live one day at a time. And they can look back and no doubt they were familiar with this promise. As thy day, so shall thy strength be. So we see here the need of it, but we see the nature of it. Let me say this and I'm through. I say the nature of it. I'm talking about the fact that it was something that was certain. The Bible says God can't lie. You can rely upon God. Why? Because God can't lie. You know, I might tell you something, and, and, and you know, if you'd asked me the other night, uh, who's going to win the ball game? I'd say, oh, the Texans got this. They get a third, third string quarterback. No sweat. We got this game, boy. Just, yeah. You know, I can be sincere, and you know, it's not that I want to lie to you. I'm just not always right. But let me tell you, when God says something, you can take it to the bank. It's right. Amen. It's certain, but notice it's limited. As thy days, he doesn't say as your weeks or months or years are, but as thy days, so shall thy strength be. That is that God's not going to give you enough strength today that will do you for next week or next month or next year because you're going to face some things, you know, that then you'll need strength then. You don't have that strength now, so a lot of times we reason, oh, I don't know what. I just I couldn't survive if my wife ever left me. I couldn't survive if I ever got that report one of my one of my kids got killed in a car wreck. Oh, I I think I'd just blow my brains out. I just couldn't live. I couldn't go on. I'd be worse. No, no, listen. You're underestimating the power of God's grace. Let me tell you right now that God's grace is sufficient for anything and everything. Makes no difference what it is. I heard Brother Ron say amen, and he and Peggy know what I'm talking about, and some of you do, other people do. I heard he mentioned Doug this morning in the office. We were talking, and Doug's name come up. Uh, they, they know firsthand experience what it's like whenever you lose a child that you love so dearly, and you wonder how in the name of God can I ever get through this? When the time comes, God will give you what you need. There's some people that live in fear of death. I'm telling you the truth. They live in fear of death because, well, it's the unknown. I don't know what solution to Naturally, you don't. You don't need to know. But you don't need to worry about it either. To be absent from the body, uh, to be what? Present with the Lord. It's limited. It's thy days. But notice here that, that it's also extensive. Now, now, this is an important point. As thy day, so shall thy strength be. In other words, there are no qualifying phrases in that statement. Am I making sense? Are you with me? As thy days, if you've been a really good little boy, you know, or if, you know, whatever, there's some qualifying phrase, but there's nothing like that. As thy days, if you're one of God's people, mark it down as your days. Whatever your days might bring, God has strength that is sufficient for the problem and the difficulty that you're going through. So 
this touches and this encompasses absolutely all of our life. So there's a sense in which you could say that our life is like a chain or made up of the links of days. We don't know whenever we're going to get down there to that link that breaks and we leave this whole world, but we know that God's going to be faithful to keep His promise. Now, let me tell you why all of this is so important. I, I don't want to presume on your ignorance. You already know. It's important that we live a life that is pleasing to God. We, we, we know that. So this isn't some new revelation but when the Lord says, lay up for yourselves, I want you to look out for your own best interest. Am I making sense? Now, I know the Bible says we've got to deny ourselves. That's right. We have to deny ourselves if we're going to be a follower of Christ. And at the same time, though, we've got to look out for what is best for, for us. That just makes sense. We'd want to do something like that, Right. I tell you, the best thing for any of us is for us to live a life of faithfulness. And above everything else, the one thing, the greatest reward that I can think of is found in chapter 25, where he speaks about the fact, and more than anything, this is what I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, that's worth, that's worth more than anything. Absolutely no amount of money or anything else that is nearly so valuable as, as that is to know that someday the one who died on the cross and saved you by his grace, the one that made salvation so simple that all you have to do is to believe and to know that someday that you can stand there before him, not to be condemned, but to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Wow, that, that makes it all worthwhile. Are you determined to live a life of faithfulness in this world? Just as the Lord showed his followers, this is what it takes. You can't... You can't be worried about everything. You've just got to take one day at a time and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You know, even as I'm preaching this, I already know some of you are listening to what I'm saying and you won't even be here tonight. Am I right? Yeah, boy, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'll let the church meet all it wants. I'll just pick and choose the times I want to support it. And I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm trying to get you to see what is really most important in your life. And I know there are people that won't be here tonight because uh, for good reason. It might be they're taking care of, a, of a, a sick relative and they shouldn't be here. They ought to be there taking care of their of their dear family member, whatever it is. I'm not that hard-hearted, but I'm trying to get you to see if we're not careful, we'll end up wasting our life away on frivolous things that, that are of no eternal value whatsoever. 
do yourself a favor and confess and acknowledge the fact that the Lord is not unreasonable in any of this. But he, listen, understand who you are, what you have, and the fact that he wants what's best for you. He's not working against you. He's working for you. And whenever we cooperate with him, Lord, if that's what you want, that's okay by me. Thy will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. That's all. That, listen, that's all a part of this same message, the Sermon on the Mount. It's all in there. And whenever we have that attitude toward the things of life, we'll be amazed at what God can do in our life. Let's all stand together. Father in heaven, how we thank you, Lord, for making salvation available, for making it free, and to realize that, that you love each and every one of us to the extent that, that Christ tasted death for every man, not just a few, but for every person on earth. And if there's someone here this morning that has never received that wonderful gift of eternal life, I pray today you'll speak to their hearts and the Spirit of God might draw them to the Son of God and they'll be saved. And Lord, for those of us that have been saved, and Lord, there's so many times in our life, you know, we just, we try on one hand, on the other hand, it just seems like we take one step forward and two back. And we get discouraged and we worry and we fret. Help us, Heavenly Father, to learn to live our life in compartments, just one day at a time. And to not worry about what we might face tomorrow, but just to make sure that we do the things today that are well-pleasing in your sight. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name.